This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 33, Psalm 33, and as you're turning there, I'm going to light the candles because I forgot to do it before the service, and it's driving me crazy. So if you're, not, if you're okay with that, I will tell you, last year, um, it was the first week of Advent, and uh, I came to light the candles and realized I didn't have a li- lighter, and you know how hard it is in a Baptist church to get someone to admit they have a lighter? <laughs> I literally left. And went to Dollar General a few minutes before pastor, right before, got me a cigarette lighter and uh, came back and lit the Advent candles. So if you heard rumors that the pastor's buying cigarette lighters, it's Advent candle. That's all it is. <laughs> well, we have been uh, started last week. We're doing a little three-part series on songs of joy. Psalm 32, 33, 34. Songs that are an expression of the joy that the people of God experience because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. God cares about your joy. I want you to know that. God cares about your joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, these things I have written to you so that my joy, Jesus says, might be in you. Jesus has joy and he wants to give it to you. And then he says this, and that your joy might be full. God doesn't want you to have just a little joy. He wants you to be increasing in joy. And the reality is that as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and choose to continue to trust and follow him, the more that we trust him and the more we follow him, the more we surrender our lives to him, the more we begin to experience his joy. And God's desire is that as we trust him more through life, we experience more of his joy until that moment in which we're with him eternally and we experience the fullness of his joy. God's design for you is to increase in joy as you increase in faith. And your joy matters to me. One of the verses that God gave me as I came to be your pastor almost three years ago was Philippians 1.25. It's the verse I think about the most for you. And Paul says this, I'm convinced that I will remain with you for your progress and joy in the faith. My greatest ambition is that you would make progress in trusting and following Jesus and increase in joy. At the end of my ministry, however long that may be here, my prayer is that you would look back and realize through the ministry of the word, I made progress and I increased in joy. It matters. I had a conversation with a man not too long ago, not a member of our church, and uh, something he said has stuck with me and remained heavy on me. I had invited him to breakfast because something really exciting had happened in his life, an answer to a lot of prayers, a fulfillment of a dream. So I said, let's get breakfast. And we did. And I got there and I said, man, aren't you, are you excited? This is incredible. He said, yeah, it's going to be good. And uh, we talked a little bit more and I couldn't seem to get him very excited. And I, and I admit I can be a little, you know, more excited than everybody else, but I just was not experiencing from him or finding from him this kind of joy. And finally I just said, man, what, what's going on? I, I really thought you'd be extremely excited. We've prayed about this and watched this and God is clearly moving in your life. And he said this, he said, I've learned not to get very happy about things because normally I just end up getting disappointed. What a sad way to live. The truth is a lot of people live that way. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred 
makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Meaning if you have a desire and it gets fulfilled, it brings incredible life to you when God seems to come through. But when you put your hope into something and it doesn't come through, there's almost no sick feeling worse than the sick feeling of deferred hope. Hope deferred, hope that isn't fulfilled makes your heart sick. Now, the sad reality of life is that we tend to put our hopes in something and if it doesn't come true, we get disappointed and then our heart grows hard and cynical. And much like this man, we just decide, well, it's better not to get very excited about anything. But listen, the answer for our disappointment is not to stop having hope. The answer for our disappointment is to make sure our hope is in something that will never disappoint. And that's the point of Psalm 33. Psalm 33 is not just a a psalm of joy. It is about the joy of trusting the Lord. It is about the joy that comes into our heart as we give ourselves moment by moment into more fully trusting. The reason our mission statement is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus is because our desire is not to just help people make an initial decision for Christ, but to live a life in which every day they're trusting him and following him more. And as our depth of trust, as we, as we have a deeper trust, then we begin to experience a deeper joy. And that's what Psalm 33 is teaching us. Now, I really believe the key verse in Psalm 33 is found in verse 21. I think that summarizes the entire chapter. Look at it there. It says this. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. What David is saying is he's saying, I've learned to trust the Lord. In the good seasons, in the bad seasons, as a seasoned believer, I have learned how to trust the Lord. And I have also learned that the more I trust the Lord, the more my heart is glad in him. Because the simple point of Psalm 33 is this, that the object of your faith determines the depth of your joy. The object of your faith determines the depth of your joy. If the object of your faith is not only something that will not disappoint, but something that will continue to increase your joy, then you will also increase in joy the more you trust him. Because the Lord is trustworthy and he does not ever disappoint. So the call of Psalm 33 is to trust the Lord. For the sake of your joy, it is right and good to be motivated by joy. I want to experience joy Well, if you have that motivation, the plea of Psalm 33 is this. Well, then trust the Lord deeply in every moment of your life. And as you trust him, you will come to experience that kind of new joy. Now, let's look at it together as I read it. If you're there in Psalm 33, say amen. It says this. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre and make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord 
the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. For where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Now, Psalm 33 begins with this call to worship. The tone is set in the first few verses, a tone of exclamation of praise. And he begins by calling a group of people to praise him. Look at verse one, the righteous and the upright. Now, you might immediately read that and think, well, I certainly don't qualify for that. I had that thought as I read this. I don't know if the two adjectives that describe me are righteous and upright. But the reality is, is that Psalm 33 is only understood in the context of Psalm 32. Now, you might have noticed right before verse 1, there's usually a prescript, a meskill of David, or a song of the Psalms of Korah. But there isn't anything like that. And the reason is, is because Psalm 33 was written to go with Psalm 32. It really is a continuation. And it is only if we understand Psalm 32 that we can understand the reason to praise. Now, I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but the point of last week was the joy of forgiveness, the reminder that we were born in our sin and our transgression and our iniquity. And because of that, we have been separated from God and deserve the outpouring of God's righteous wrath and deserve eternity in hell. But God, because of his grace, sent his only son that whoever would believe in him could have their sins forgiven and instead of paying for their sins could receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The joy of the gospel is this, that if you will simply trust Jesus Christ and not yourself as the only means by which you can be saved, the Bible says that all of our sin can be placed upon Jesus and he pays the penalty for it and all of his righteousness is credited to our account. So now through Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous and upright. Amen? This is the good news of the gospel. And so Psalm 33 is written to anyone who trusts Christ. If you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and you know his forgiveness and you know what it's like to be declared righteous, he actually calls you a righteous and upright one. And then it uses six words to describe the way in which we should praise the Lord. It says we should shout for joy in the Lord. We should praise him in verse one. We should give thanks to him. We should make melody to him. We should sing to him and we should play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And four out of those six words are direct commands. They're not suggestions, they're commands. To shout, to give thanks, to make melody, and to sing. All of those are outward public acts of celebration. None of them are muted. All of them seem to be exuberant and loud expressions of praise. And the reason that they're commanded is the end of verse one. Because this kind of praise... This shouting to the Lord, this giving thanks, this making melody, these loud songs and shouts of joy, it says that kind of praise befits the upright. 
meaning this, the appropriate response to what God has done for you is to give him this kind of praise. This is not only an okay thing to do, it is the right response of the people of God. This kind of praise befits the upright. So if you have been saved from eternal damnation and a literal burning fire for all of eternity by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you are now safe and secure for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for you, this kind of praise is the proper response. Amen? I have to say amen because if I didn't, you wouldn't have said anything. This is the proper and right response. Those who really come to grasp the depth of what God has done for you and those who realize what they have been saved from, not only in this life, but in the next, will certainly give him this kind of praise. Think about Luke 2 when the angels fill up the skies and say, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. The truth is, is the message of Jesus is good news of great joy. And how is anyone ever going to believe that we have good news if we don't look like it's good news? If we don't celebrate the news with great joy, why would anyone believe that what we have to say is good news? This is why your joy matters to the Lord and it matters to me. And it matters that we be a responsive church. Because it is one thing for me to get up here and preach it. It is another thing for you to affirm it with your expression. This is an appropriate response for the righteous. And then look at what it says in verses four and five. It says, the reason that you should sing and shout and rejoice this way is for the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness and he loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. Remember, all of Psalm 33 is about deepening your trust and in deepening your trust, you deepen your joy. The more you trust him, the more you will rejoice in him. And so it is that verse four and five says, well, there are some specific areas of trust in which need to be deepened. First, his word and his work and his love. Psalm 33 is calling you to a deeper trust of God's word, a deeper trust of God's work and a deeper trust of God's love. And as you come to be settled in your confidence on those three things, you will see an increase of your joy. And the rest of Psalm 33 just kind of works that out. So the first area of trust, I want you to write this down, is this. We need to trust that his word is sure. His word is sure. And by sure, I mean that it is certain. It is settled. It is always right. It is never in doubt. It is the last and final word. When he speaks, it happens. And that's in verses 6 through 9. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breadth of his mouth, all their host. In other words, when God speaks, it accomplishes something. And when the Lord speaks, all of the heavens were made. By, the voice of, by my own voice, I can barely get my children to obey. And by the Lord's voice, all of the heavens came into existence. By his breadth, all of the host and all of the stars came into existence. And the reason it speaks to us in that poetic language is to remind us that it didn't take the Lord any effort to accomplish these things. He didn't exert energy in order to make the heavens and to make the earth. That by his very breath, he breathed out the existence of every star in the galaxy. So as we go out and 
to a clear night and we look up into the sky, we're reminded that every planet is there because God spoke and it came into existence. His word always accomplishes something. Look what it says about the power of his word. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap and he puts the deep in the storehouses. Now, we should never underestimate the power of, of water. If you've ever had a flood in your house or if you ever have been to a place in which there was a hurricane or you've seen footage of a tsunami, even in our homes, water is an incredibly powerful force. And you think about the weight and the power of all of the oceans. Here's what it says in this verse. It says the Lord just kind of puts them in their place. He just kind of takes his hands and he says, okay, I want the oceans here and, and I want the rivers here and the little ponds and the lakes here. That by the power of his word, he just controls all of the water. And what the psalmist is trying to do is trying to get us to understand the power of what happens when God speaks. That there is no force on earth that compares to the power of God's word. So it says in verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When you think about the power of what he is able to accomplish with just a word, our response should be to fear him and to be in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. The simple point is that God's word is powerful. It is effective. It is perfect. It is sure that it is settled in eternity. It is never wrong and it is never outdated. You know, the reason I'm so committed to preaching this book every single time that we gather is because the most relevant thing in your life is what this has to say. There is no message more relevant than this. If a church says they're trying to be relevant and in so doing don't preach the word, they have become completely irrelevant. Because the most relevant thing in your life is this. This is the perfect, sure, settled word of God and it is everything that you need. It knows you better than you know yourself. So the God who spoke the galaxies into existence has also spoken this into existence and you hold it in your hand. Church, this is the very word of God that can always be trusted, that is always perfect, that is always right. And you can bank your life upon it. I would say one of those frustrating things for me about the last uh, nine months or however long it's been, is trying to understand what's really going on with uh, this virus and communicate it to people because no one seems to be quite sure. I remember the first time I was ever going to make a video to communicate to the church, I had some phrasing I'd put together and I called two doctors. And I said, here's what I'm going to say. Is this okay? And they said, well, I would change that phrase. And that word's not exactly right, but I would say this. And then I called another doctor and he said, yes, I would say it just like this. Yes, you've got it. It's perfect. I get up, I make a video. Within 20 minutes of the video going out, I receive calls, text messages, and a number of emails telling me I was absolutely wrong in everything I said. I just talked to two doctors and I received six YouTube videos by email and text telling me all the reasons that I was wrong. And I might have been, I don't know. Neither did they. Neither do we. It's extremely frustrating. I had someone say to me, well, pastor, you can't argue with numbers. Numbers don't lie. Well, they lie all the time. Everything can lie. And I don't think it's all political. I think they don't even understand. No one quite understands the truth of this. None of us are quite sure. None of the doctors or scientists have this entire thing figured out. And the most difficult thing has been to try to find a way to communicate this that is right, but we just don't know. 
And in a moment in our lives in which everything seemed confusing and everything seems uncertain, I can't imagine a time you needed this more than you need it right now. Listen to me. If you're spending an hour a day listening to news and two minutes a day in this, you will never experience joy. Your heart will be so weighed down by fear and anxiety. I can't tell you the amount of people I'm talking to who are just so consumed with fear. They're so anxious about everything. And the reason is this, is because they're getting all of this stuff put into their mind that is not true. And they're not battling back with this. God has given you a book and every sentence of it is true. The God who knows you and created you, who knows exactly what you need, has given you this. And if you want to grow in your joy in the Lord, you grow in your confidence in God's word. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, I'm just not experiencing joy when you're not reading this. His word is sure. Psalm 33 also tells us that his work is perfect. His word is sure and his work is perfect. That's verses 10 through 12. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing and he frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever in the plans of his heart to all generations. Now, you might want to circle those words counsel and plans. They're mentioned in verse 10 and again in verse 11. In verse 10, it talks about the counsel and the plans of the nations. And in verse 11, it talks about the counsel and the plans of the Lord. It's making a contrast here. It is reminding us that all over the world right now, there are rulers and authorities that are making all kinds of plans. They're taking counsel together. They're having meetings and behind the scenes in ways we never will understand or know. They are making plans for the direction of our nation and every other nation. But there's also some other plans that have been made. And they are plans that are not established in a boardroom or in an office. They're established in heaven. And it is those plans that will absolutely be accomplished regardless of any other plans anyone is making. This is what it says. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing and he frustrates the plans of the people. Just just think about the people uh, of Exodus. So here they are under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the entire known world He just kept turning up the heat on their oppression. He kept making life worse for them. He hated the people of God. And every time they tried to push back, he just made it worse and worse and worse for them. And so we see the story and we have to imagine that the people of God thought, if we could just only get rid of Pharaoh, if we could just get another one in the office, then everything would be okay. Pharaoh's our problem. Pharaoh's our problem. But we have the opportunity to see something that they could not fully see. As we look back on the story, what we realize is this. Pharaoh was a pawn in the hands of God. He was a pawn. God was hardening his heart in order to accomplish something great for his people. God, who desired to accomplish something significant for his glory, was working Pharaoh's heart in such a way that it was accomplishing God's plans. Listen, there is one set of plans that has been established in heaven, and they will be fulfilled. It is the plans of God. So in the midst of our heart being so anxious and so worried and so overwhelmed by all the other plans being made, just know this, God's got plans, and they will be accomplished. 
That's the good news of verse 12. Verse 12, out of context, is a mess, but in context is great. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The point of verse 12 is simply this. If God has established his plans and they will be fulfilled, if every other plan will be frustrated and come to naught, then the people who are blessed, which we saw last week means happy, are those who are a part of God's good plans. If you choose to align yourself with the Lord and his plans, that is the way in which you experience the blessing of the Lord. See, what we do is we make our plans and ask God to bless them. What God is inviting us to do is trust his plans and get in on them. And what he says is those who submit to the Lord, those who are okay with his plans, those who go in his direction, whether it be a nation, a family, or an individual, if you are right with God and walking with God, submissive to his will over your life, that is the one who is blessed by God. Because that is a person who trusts God's work. Listen, God is working right now. God is accomplishing his purposes right now. Not in some vague national way in your life, in your family, in your circumstance. God is working. He is aware of what is going on in your life. And he is working things in such a way that he is going to create a circumstance that is not only best for his glory, but it is best for your own good. So the psalmist says, I have learned to trust the word. I have learned to trust God's work. And the final thing he says is this. Not only is his word sure and certain and his work perfect, but his love is unfailing. His love is unfailing. That's verses 13 and following. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. And from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. This is what poetry does. It makes contrast through words so it paints a picture of the lord who is looking down from heaven he is sitting enthroned i mean he's the ruler he's the king he's sovereign over everything and he fashions the hearts of all men so it says the god who is enthroned the god who is ruling the god who is reigning is also seeing all the children of man notice three times the word all is used in these verses This is not some vague reference to God's awareness of what's going on in the world. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He observes all their deeds. Listen, this includes you. Personally. You. That the God who sits enthroned and is overseeing all things is aware of what's going on in your life because he's looking at you. Look back at chapter 32, verse 8. We looked at this last week, Psalm 32, 8. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is a precious verse. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You see, it's one thing to receive counsel from a counselor. It's another thing even to receive counsel from a pastor who knows the word of God. But it's another thing to receive counsel from someone who not only knows what's right and always says what is right, but knows you better than you know yourself. So he says, the Lord who sees you and sees the recesses of your heart and all of your motives in a way you could never understand is the one who is giving you counsel because he has his eye upon you. 
Church, the Lord is, is watching you. He is aware of what is going on in your life every single moment, every single day, in every circumstance. There is no moment in which God is not watching everything that is happening in your life. He is aware of all things. And this is why it says that a king is not saved by his great army, verse 16, and a warrior not by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue. If there is one sovereign God whose word is perfect and his work is always accomplished, why would you trust anyone else but him? He alone is a place to put your hope. It says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, verse 18, on those who hope in his steadfast love. What it means is this. It means that God is not looking at you because He's obligated to. He's not looking at you because he's bored. He's looking at you because he loves you. God has committed his steadfast love to you. He has committed to you a love that will never fail, that will never end, that will never give up. And I think I've come to discover that the reason so many people are unable to give God the kind of worship that is called for in verses one, two, and three is because failed to realize in the very depth of their heart just how much God loves them. If we could only grasp and have real confidence in the way God feels about you, we're talking about the feeling, the emotion of joy, if you just knew the depth of God's love and how much he feels for you and how he longs for you and how he loves you and how he's working things in your life for your good, how he cares about every detail of your life. He's concerned with everything going on. Nothing is happening by accident. If you could just get settled on this truth, God passionately loves you. He cares about you so deeply. And we can begin to rest in that. Rest in the way in which God feels about us and trust his word and trust his work and walk in it by faith. As we walk by faith in confidence of his word, his work, and his love, it is in that journey of faith that we begin to experience the fullness of his joy. I love the way that this ends in verses 20 and 21 and 22, it says this, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, your love for me be upon us even as we hope in you. I love that it ends by talking about our souls. Because listen, this is where the battle is fought. There is a war being waged, 1 Peter 2, on your soul. The soul is the seat of our confidence in the Lord, our trust in the Lord, and it is the place in which this joy in the Lord is found. And what's happening is that everything around us is waging a war on our soul, and many of you are losing that battle because you're not fighting by faith for a happy soul. I want you to fight by faith in a happy soul and all of the anxiety and despair and concern and frustration, all of that is a result of the fact that we are not resting in the work and the word and the love of God. All of that angst is pointing to a lack of faith. I mean, life is hard and it's complicated and the messages are so overwhelming, particularly in this moment, but there is a God who has committed himself to you and what he simply says to you at the end is just trust me. 
I love that the psalm begins with these exclamations of joy. Get up and shout. And then it ends by just saying, hey, hey, do you trust me? Do you trust my word? Do you trust my work? Do you trust my love? If you trust me, just take a breath. (laughs) Just let your heart be at ease in your confidence that I'm doing what is right and best for you. And here's what I believe. I believe that when you get into that moment in which you're trusting the Lord and you begin as an act of faith to praise him, whether you feel like it or not, it is in that moment in which the joy follows. Let me read one quote for you. I was thinking about the contrast between all of this joy and then the way in which our heart often feels. And Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. He says, we are invited to bless the Lord. We are commanded to bless the Lord. And then someone says, but I don't feel like it. And I won't be a hypocrite. I can't bless God. If I don't feel like blessing God, it wouldn't be honest. The biblical response to that is, lift up your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It's simple motor movement. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing and just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up in praise. You know, sometimes, sometimes we just bless the Lord. We just choose to praise the Lord. We choose to give him a shout. We choose to give him an applause. We choose to give him a new song because of something new he's done in our lives. As we walk in faith in who he is and choose to rejoice in him, it might be that part of the act of faith is doing that and then the joy follows. I'm just pleading with you to give the Lord the praise that he deserves. Let your heart rest in him and begin to praise him because a joyful heart will follow. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.